Hey guys, this is Kevin, and welcome to another episode of the You Know Jack podcast. It's uh, great to be with you. It's been uh, it's been a couple weeks, so I'm glad to uh, be putting out some new material here. Life's been busy. You know, I've come to the conclusion that pretty much all I do as a dad, and I think most moms and dads are the same, I work... I go to baseball, swim, you know, dance competitions, I pay bills, and then I, you know, I eat food, I eat a lot, and I watch Netflix, like that, that's my life, that is all I do, and I mean, that's a lot of stuff, but like, man, it's pretty lame, to be on, and, oh, and I have a podcast. I got so bored that I have a podcast. But man, what what has life come to? I remember being young, and man, you just you could just live in the moment and do whatever you wanted every single day. The good old days, folks. Um, well, I hope everybody's having a good week. I I've had a busy one. I've been traveling for work back in town though, and. Um, Ready to ready to finish this week out and get started with the weekend. I think I'm playing in a, a cornhole tournament this weekend, so that should be fun. Got some got some other episodes coming up that I'm recording this weekend. Hopefully, that'll that'll be really good uh, episodes. I think. And so, yeah, just really grateful to be be back here in the studio uh, at 11 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. So. Um, Another thing I wanted to touch on, I was pretty pumped up about this. I, uh, I I finally looked. I hadn't been looking at my podcast data. You know, the the app that I use to create this podcast and distribute it. They give you like locations of where your listeners are from, and I, I hadn't really checked it out in a while. And uh, you know, my my listenership is great right now. It's pretty. It's been pretty steady for the past couple months, I'd say. Um, so I'm proud of that. It's been good. And then the coolest part is I have like 20 international people that listen to the show. I don't know who they are, but there's, there's a couple people in Russia. There's people in like Hungary. There's people in, uh, Brazil, Canada, Australia. I, there was someone from Jerusalem or Israel, you know, like all these different places. I was blown away when I started looking through the the full list. So if you are one of those people, please hit me up. I would love to to get to know how you how you linked up with us. Um, all right, I'm going to take you into today's episode. Today's episode is a really cool one. I've been excited to do this. It's with my good friend named Alex Easton. Alex, somebody I met uh, a couple years ago. He's someone in recovery. I've worked with him on a non-for-profit board for a while now. We've become good friends. And, uh, you know, Alex has gone through some struggles, to say the least, in his 29 years on this earth. Um, Alex has, you know, had to deal with his figuring out his sexuality at a young age in high school in a small town that, you know, it wasn't okay probably to come out of the closet during that time. And so he, he talks about that. He talks about his struggle with anxiety and depression. He talks about addiction. He talks about, 
you know, his father being in a severe accident and being paralyzed. I mean, he goes deep into his life, and I was very um, blessed that he was willing to do that. So I, Alex actually came over this past weekend, and we, we, we did the episode, and it was a good time. So, uh, Alex, I appreciate you if you're listening to this, and I love you, man. You're you're a good buddy of mine, and uh, I really think your story is going to help a lot of folks. So with that being said, I'm going to take you on into the episode. Don't forget to rate the podcast. Check out the merch store, bonfire.com forward slash store forward slash YKJ pod. Pick out a shirt, rate the pod, hit that smash that like, as the kids say. Um, I don't even know what that means, but uh, yeah, man. Talk to you soon. All right, so yeah, man, I appreciate you joining me today in the, in the studio. I'm excited to be here, man. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd like to introduce everyone to my good buddy, Alex Easton. Alex, welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. So. Yeah, not a problem. We've been talking about doing this for a while, and I'm glad we finally got it worked yeah. out. Life's just a little crazy, but we, we make it happen. So. That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, Alex, I wanted to have you on because we've gotten to know each other over the past year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. We serve on uh, the board together for Amare, which is a non-for-profit peer recovery group that helps people dealing with, you know, their recovery and, and addiction and alcoholism, trying to figure out what's next for them. And mm-hmm. so we've gotten to know each other there. I know you've... Uh, shared your story quite a bit yes <laughs> and uh you're pretty open about things and so i just thought it'd be really cool to have you on and i don't really know where you're from i don't know much about you so i thought it would be cool to kind of educate me on your story <laughs> while the guests are also getting educated at the same time no absolutely it's a good way to kind of sit down and get to open up one-on-one because yeah we, we've worked together but as far as like digging into personal lives it's like Get to know about your home now and your family a little bit. So yeah, I'm yeah. learning about you as well. So it's yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm glad you got to meet him. Usually I have like an empty house when people come over. <laughs> but some days it just works out yeah. where everybody's here. So. Yeah. Um, well, first, where are you from, man? So I grew up in Gillespie, Illinois. Gillespie. It's, so that's up by Staunton, past Staunton? Yes, just okay. a little bit uh, past Staunton. Um, grew up, my family, both sides of my mom and dad's family all live there. So huge cousins and everyone kind of grew up in that area so um went to school there high school there so my whole childhood was in gotcha. so do you have siblings i do i'm the youngest of three um i have an older brother uh he's eight years older than me and my sister is five years older than me gotcha. so how old are you i don't even know how old i am 29 i will be 30 on the 26th of July. so That's my son's birthday. Is it? Palmer, the little guy you just met. <laughs> okay. July 26th, he'll be five. You know, oh, I don't say I'd ever go back because I've learned a lot. But man, yeah, sometimes like... But being a know. kid's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. You you don't realize it till you get older. You're like, oh, sometimes just nap time. Like, I, I miss that. Like, yeah. at my job, I'm like, can we just take like 30 minutes and just... Right, and but, they they cry about it. They don't want. to I do know it. they don't want to do it. He's they, to the point now where he like uh, 
I have to really drag him in there. <laughs> He'll take a nap, but it's really for me so I can lay there and take a nap with him. Yeah. And then now I'm learning that as like in adulthood. I'm like, oh, that's why they did this because they needed the 30 minutes just to kind of <laughs> settle as yeah, a teacher, yeah, I'm I mean, sure. It's definitely something. Once naps are over with, life just never just stops. Eight. The day starts and it doesn't <laughs> stop till they go to bed. So, yes. Well, that's cool. I didn't know you guys shared a birthday. So, cool. um, so you grew up the youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that in your family? Uh, I've always referred to myself as the baby and the favorite because I was the last one and the best one. But no, uh, <laughs> you know, it was cool. My, um, they were old enough that we never really crossed paths in school. Like my brother and sister were in high school together, and yeah, you know. Um, didn't necessarily compete against one another or with one another, but uh, I was just kind of the the loved one at the the tail end of everything. So right. um, it was good. Uh, I my brother and sister were very much involved in sports, and my father's side of the family, um, big coaches, and um, did a lot like in the Carlinville area um, as far as taking teams to state and like okay. um, football and stuff. Yep. So that was kind of a big reputation of my family, and uh, that wasn't necessarily like the the path that I was headed down. Um, I was athletic and and enjoyed it, but uh, I found music was like my niche when I was younger, and so I was um, kind of carving out a new pathway and felt a little uh, black sheepish, a little black sheepish, because you know my brother and sister both went to college on. one for track scholarship and one for a basketball scholarship. So whenever I entered high school and uh, I still did sports, but music was more my passion and like, I don't know. That's where the direction you were headed. Yes. And I'm sure for your parents, they weren't equipped to handle that. Right. I mean, like (laughs) uh, that if your dad's a coach or Mm. was a big football player and his whole family, That'd be tough to be like, all right, this kid's gonna do music. I don't know anything about music. How do I support him? How do I, you know, make him make him feel good about it? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that that we deal with too. You know, with our kids, it's like you want your kids to do what you did, Mm -hmm. but that's you can't force them, right? So you got to adjust on the fly and then figure out how to support them the right way. Yeah. Um. So how? What? What type of music? What do you mean music? All instruments or what? What did you? It was primarily musical theater. Um, okay, singing gotcha. is like was my uh, direction I was going. So, being um, someone who lived in Gillespie, Illinois, uh, I don't know there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity there. So I started expanding to St. Louis and Springfield, Illinois, um, to do shows throughout the year. Um, so I'd be in high school and traveling an hour at the end of the day to like go rehearse in St. Louis in the evenings and put on different productions over the years and. So it was a different experience, uh, and then trying to juggle that with school and sports as well was always kind of a combative thing because it wasn't a school function, so they didn't have them like scheduled sure. to work around one another. So, and I'm sure part of you was just like, "Man, I'd love to just do this full time, mm-hmm. but I got to keep doing the sports because that's what everyone wants, wants of me." Me to do, yep, and everyone's supportive of that and shows up, and they're all, yeah. So it was an internal battle for that for a long time. Yeah, I'm sure. So uh, at that time, were you uh, also kind of figuring out some things about yourself and questioning some things about yourself? Yeah, I would say about... um, So I am an openly gay man. Um, 
Uh, at that point, I was definitely not. Um, right. I started questioning some things about 15. Um, I uh, went on Weight Watchers, and I lost 80 pounds when I was 15. Uh, my mom, my grandma, my uncle went with me. And uh, I don't know, I got my braces off, and I'm like freshman, sophomore-ish age in high school. And uh, I don't know, I just started finding me a little bit more. And as yeah. I expanded to see what the world had to offer more of, I, I was learning and... Um, you know, I grew up primarily in a, uh, my family is very active in the Methodist church and still are. Um, so born and raised, my mom actually jokes a lot. Uh, the Friday of Bible school, she was going to teach and she's like, I think I'm going to have a baby today. So she dropped my brother and sister off. So I came during the middle of uh, vacation Bible school, but, uh, I don't know, like I had a lot of, uh, religious, um, influences growing up that kind of steered me away from i I felt like being a gay man was wrong um and so or like against god so that definitely had a big impact on a lot of things that transpired later on in my life um in that internal struggle but um you know just little by little so you were overweight so oh yes so (laughs) So that's where I uh, started to learn about just how different eating styles, um, kind of how to um, watch that aspect. Um, what transpired from that, though, um, was in time the maintenance of that I was not good at. So I had developed an eating disorder of bulimia. Um, and so 16 was the first time I ever actively engaged in that. Um, my parents found out when I was 17, and we... Um, started to seek help. Um, I went to counseling in St. Louis. Um, there wasn't a lot of resources back then um, to really, I don't know, kind of just like threw me on medication and sure. had me see a counselor once a week in St. Louis. And I'm like, uh, it just really wasn't. So at that time, were you struggling with depression and anxiety and mm-hmm. things like that as well? It, yeah, I absolutely think um, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that my bulimia was a lot of... Um, stuffing emotions and then repress or like releasing them in a way. Um, so in a sense of control as well in a world where I just felt like who I was, what I was wanting to do was not accepted, wanted like not what I was supposed to be doing just in so many different areas. So I think it was a way for me to just bottle all that up and, sure. and cope to the best of my ability. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some insecurity about the weight thing too. Yes. Obviously. I mean, I've struggled with my weight my whole life and you know, for me, when I was younger, kind of like you said, I didn't really, until recently, like I didn't think that I had depressive behavior. Mm-hmm. But looking back and still to this day, you know, we were just talking before we started recording, you know, like I I can get in some periods of time when I'm overwhelmed and busy mm-hmm. where I have, you know, some depression. And lately I've been crazy busy and things have been run, you know, I've been trying to keep up with things and luckily today I can kind of adjust on the fly and admit I'm kind of, I need to slow things down. I need to take a break from this or that. And so, but as a kid, I didn't really know what that was, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I just kind of, you know, I can remember being uncomfortable in my skin as a kid and I would just kind of like the thought of going to a pool party, Mm -hmm. I would just say, I don't feel good today. And I would just stay home and And you're like, I've talked to my mom about that before and she remembers and she knew what was going on. But 
they tried to help me and I was just kind of, I just didn't get it. And then that's about the time I started partying too. Yep. And so that was kind of a great escape. Yep. So, um, so, you know, I know you, you talk about being openly gay and you're also a person in, in recovery. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you start to, you know, after your bulimia, you got things on track maybe for a little bit or how did it, how did that kind of pan out? So, um, I like that you touched on the aspect of like partying to kind of feel like that, fill that void and kind of feel more comfortable within yourself for different things. Um, I started dabbling in like just social drinking at about 16. And um, I found that like I was able to just totally relax. Like I think with like, I felt like I was like so much had to be perfect and in control all the time um, that that was a huge release for me that alcohol allowed that for me. Right. Um, so, you know, dabbled in it for the, uh, for a couple of years and, you know, went off to college at SIUE. Okay. Um, I would say probably I've struggled with bulimia up until 27 off and on. Um, so just this last time when I got sober, um, but I'm jumping ahead, but, That's uh, right. <laughs> uh, I definitely, the older I got, the more I kind of switched from the bulimia to alcohol. It did a very similar thing of like numbing and I don't know, just helping me escape that depression, anxiety, feel more comfortable within myself. And, um, it's all almost self-medicating in a lot of different ways. Sure. Um, sure. So, so when you moved, did you move down here and go to school or were you living still in Gillespie and just driving? I, after high school, I moved to uh, Edwardsville okay. and I lived so. on campus for my freshman year. Um, life was still good. You know, I was uh, going a uh, musical theater major, um, kind of loving what I was doing, the whole new experience. And I've, I felt like I was finally able to go find my people and grow. And, yeah. You're um, not in Gillespie anymore. Yes. not And not stuck under the idea of what the Easton family does and kind of sure. finding my own way in the world. And, uh, it was exciting. Um, I moved out, uh, after my freshman year into an apartment with my best friend. Uh, and we started the summer in the apartment and I was doing a show in Alton. Um, and we just started partying a lot. That was the first time that I really started to become aware that like my drinking was getting a little out of control. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't able to like balance summer school and performing and trying to live my social life and stay up to like 4 a.m. and rinse and repeat and go do the same thing over. Um, so I would say at the end of that summer, I became aware and I cut back drastically for the fall before school got back in way. Um, so I'm in like my sophomore year of college and uh, really got into like working out and uh, performing and kind of life back on track um and then that year in november my father got in a car accident um he long term uh became paralyzed from the chest down um Mm. my family like had to build a new house all this different different chaotic things were going on and change uh and i didn't cope with that very well yeah that's Um, tough so i i know this gets kind of confusing um to some, simple it down, I guess, like the spring semester of my sophomore year, I withdrew and went home, um, partially because of my drinking, partially because I thought at the time that I was going to help out my family, right. um, get back on track and navigate this. Um, 
it turned out to be a disaster. I just amplified my drinking and my isolation and uh, kind of led me onto the path of staying sick for a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, at this time, is the rest of your family in Gillespie or did they move away, your siblings? My brother and sister both were gone. Um, I think my brother was out in Kansas and my sister was up in Colorado. Okay. Um, so I was the closest. Um, like I said, I have a huge family, so they had other family members there to support and be a part of it. But uh, I think it was kind of more of an excuse looking back on it because I wasn't doing very well. Yeah, um, you could just kind of run from your problems and, yeah. and you had a great cozy, I- I'm going to just go yeah. help my mom. It's the right thing, to, right do. thing to do. I'm, yeah, yeah, it was a, the perfect excuse to kind of bow out and put blame on someone else and... Uh, give me a reason to go try to maybe figure out what's going on with me. Right. Um, and where were you at at this point with your, when it comes to your sexuality with your family? So we were like just on the cusp of a really like, they knew since I was 18, I came out to my um, okay. so, yeah. mother and father right before I went to college. Um, supportive, loving, um, but still a foreign concept sure, a little bit to sure. them. Um, so how was that? I don't want to dig in too much, but how, how do you, you know, approach that, right? If, when you're an 18 year old kid, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you had been thinking about how to do it for a while, but, um, take us through that. Like, that's a big thing. And I'm sure a lot of people listening could, could have that issue themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, need to need to hear how you navigated that. So, (laughs) My older sister, she is actually, um, and she's a lesbian. Um, so I got to sit back and watch her process with my family. Um, it did not go very smoothly. Um, she was, um, I don't know, just very, a little bit more abrasive and, um, it just shocked them a lot more. So I was fearful of that for a very long time that I didn't want to have this rejection, um, or this negative energy between me and my family. Um, it was right before I went off to college and I, I was seeing someone and uh, their pa- <laughs> I, I wish I had this like wonderful coming out story where I could sit down and I, I t- told my parents and we just cried and embraced, uh, embraced and loved yeah. one another. <laughs> um, actually, uh, my boyfriend at the time, his mother called my mom. Oh, and um, so that's kind of how it just became the conversation. Uh, they addressed it with me if this was what was going on and I said yes and um we just kind of swept it under the rug at that point like that it was okay but we weren't like gonna talk about it another thing of just like I feel like my family at that time just suppressed emotion so I learned that behavior so um most I think most families do to be honest with you yeah maybe not as much these days but you know back years back Mm -hmm. for sure it was just known but we just kind of never talked about it and so um so that was another thing that was kind of hanging out there still yeah that you probably didn't have closure on all the way exactly until a few years ago (laughs) pretty much yes um it's it's wild like even just sitting here talking with you i'm like connecting dots that i don't think i've ever really like put together so much um yeah but yeah that's pretty much exactly how it went and and I dated people in college, and I, I remember my brother's wedding was the first time I brought my significant other home. And um, knowing what I know today, I was uncomfortable. Sure. And so, like, um, that made others feel uncomfortable, too. 
um, are like allowed that, that awkwardness or even if it wasn't there, just because I felt it, my reality was that it was awkward and like not okay. Um, so I really like shied away from like intertwining that world with like my home life. Which is um, tough, right? Yeah. Then you're living kind of the, the double, double life, life thing. Yeah, that would yeah. be tough, man. So you're let's get back to you moving home. So you, you move home, you're helping out mm-hmm. maybe a little bit, but yeah. what uh what's the progression of things there? So the plan was to go back to school in the fall. I was gonna kinda get myself together. Um which I, I did end up doing. I went back to Edwardsville in the fall. Um and was your family aware of your drinking? And that it was an issue and yes. that you needed to work on it. Yep. And they they knew whenever I withdrew mid-semester that that was part of the issue. Um, I don't think they knew the severity of it. Um, they just thought I was depressed and dealing with a lot with all the changes. So I was home for the summer. They definitely became aware that like drinking was a lot more out of hand than they realized. Um, I... <laughs> Got pulled over on the 4th of July and had an open container in my car. So I had my license suspended at that point. Um, so I went, when I went to college that fall, I didn't have a driver's license. Um, so I was like renting this room and biking back and forth to classes and uh, always stopping at the liquor store on my bike and <laughs> riding it back to my apartment. And eventually it just repeat pattern i like wasn't able to go to classes and had to withdraw mid-semester but this time was the first time my family was like okay you have a problem um we need to do something about it uh so i started going to clayton behavioral in st louis for outpatient classes for um drinking and substance abuse so that was my first like experience with any kind of understanding of what was going on with me or treatment. Um, and what recovery might look like. Yeah. Um, it did not, I mean, it did not pan out well. I, I found that, uh, cause I didn't take it very seriously. Um, and you're I'm, 20, 21. At this yeah. Time. I'm yeah, like, I'm like 21. Like I was like, tough. I'm like, no, this is not the time to quit. But I, I was all for maybe learning how to moderately drink and be a responsible. Yeah. That's functioning. Alcoholic. That's, uh, that's the goal for, <laughs> That's funny, you know, I have I have buddies that have kind of asked me that same question, like, mm-hmm. well, like, you know, they knew I was a wild drinker sometimes, but mm-hmm. they they might be too, a little bit, yeah. and they just didn't have the consequences that I had, mm-hmm. and um, what came along with my addiction and, and alcohol, what it did to me, and so, like, they'll kind of, they'll ask like, well, couldn't you maybe just have a few Mm -hmm. or shouldn't the goal be to learn how to drink responsibly? And I'm like, well, what do you think I've been trying to do my whole life from 14 to 34, 20 years? That's what I tried to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously it wasn't always bad, right? Like there were times I kept it together, but, uh, for the most part it was, it was always, you know, Mm -hmm. I was always a problem drinker. Yep. Even though I wasn't like a mean person or or this or that, you know, and Mm -hmm. I didn't always, I mean, I didn't get in a lot of trouble with the law. I mean, just a couple little things. Um, (laughs) Because say you're lucky for that one. (laughs) So yeah, I'm guessing we're going to go there. Yeah, I was like, we'll definitely get there. Uh, So you're biking around Eville. Biking around Eville. Getting your booze, going back. And then you you flunk out again Mm -hmm. or you withdraw again. You're in treatment, but you're not taking it serious. Not taking it serious. So... 
um, I would like run up. There was a little convenience store, um, like a block up from where I was doing outpatient treatment. And I would go and try to have a few drinks before I would go to outpatient class, thinking that was a really good idea to calm down and open up. I don't know why yeah. I thought that was, but because I'm an alcoholic, that's what I thought. Um, so I, eventually, after a few months of that, they're like, we think you need to go to inpatient treatment. This isn't working. Um, so January of that year, I went to Gateway Caseville for the first time. I actually had a phenomenal experience. Um, it was the first time that I was able to be completely removed from my environment and kind of stuck in somewhere and learn a lot of coping skills with a clear mind. Yeah. Um, and I, and just even learn about myself for the first time. Some of the things that I'd been bottling up and suppressing for years. Um, and you know, you, you get excited, you get the kind of this game plan. I'm, I'm going to go to a meeting, I think, and see what, see what that world's about and go back home and, and try to just, I'm good now. I had 30 days. Like yeah. life's going to just be okay. Um, so you went from treatment back to your folks? Yes. Okay. And so um, what's the what's the status of your dad at this point? He passed away five years ago. Oh, okay. So, so um, at that time he was already passed away? Or no. no. Okay, not yet. Nope, not yet. Um, so my dad's at home at, at, at that point. Gotcha. Um, you know, I was just going to, the plan was just to come back from treatment. It was like spring um i don't even know what year that would have been but uh springish was coming but so i was sober for probably about three weeks um after treatment after treatment that time um i'm gonna tell you what reality bites you because i i I started up again and i forget even really now what triggered me i just probably wanted to drink or started nothing dabbling it i was like just dabbling in it again like i'm i the goal always was just try to like drink and function at life. Like that was yeah. what I wanted more than anything was to, I was going to find a way that I was going to be able to drink and also live my life um, and be a productive human. Sure. <laughs> and, um, Isn't I that crazy though? When you you're thinking like that, like, and some people are different. Like my, you know, drinking, like I said, I was kind of more of a social drinker. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the, uh, at least I never got to that point, you know, in my active addiction up to this point, right? You know, mm-hmm. I never had gotten there yet where I was drinking at home by myself a ton, right? Like there were nights mm-hmm. I would come home and, and definitely have some too many drinks, but mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was miss I didn't want to miss out on the party and I didn't want to grow up and so my social my anxiety around stopping drinking was that like well, what am I going to do when I go to a happy hour for work mm-hmm. what am I going to do you know like all yep. those on at a business dinner or whatever mm-hmm. but somebody like you it sounds like you were just drinking alone yep and it was a depressive thing you're just <laughs> kind of holed up in your room drinking Pretty much. Yeah. And it's just crazy to think that your mind can trick you into thinking that, well, I just need to learn how to have a couple by myself in my bedroom in the dark. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's so uh, sick it's, to think yeah. that way, but you do it. People yeah. do it. I And it wasn't even like, yeah, at that point, I just wanted to figure out how to almost like self-medicate throughout the day. Like I just wanted to not be so anxious or so depressed. I just kind of wanted to be a little numb throughout yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah just to get through it and so i have the awareness now but at that point i didn't 
understand like what what was going on that I just felt the need to always be somewhat under the influence um and so you know like I fell off the wagon and then by the end of that spring I I ended up back in uh, Gateway Caseyville um did another 30 days um fun joke of this uh so I always like looked at people in treatment I'm like you know here I am I'm 22 and there's a lot of people who are a lot older than me here and have gone to jail they've been in treatment so many times and they've lost everything in their life like I understand why you're here but I I just have a a moderate problem that I just can stop um no legal issues yet so I'm like literally two days out whenever I leave treatment and I get a DUI Mm um and then get out of jail on, that was on a friday get out of jail on saturday and turn around and get a second one on sunday oh my goodness and then my family kicked me back into treatment on monday wow and so. then you then you belong <laughs> yeah i'm like now i've earned a, a little bit of reasoning why maybe there is a problem right so, so you got three time three treatments in six months in, pretty much yes and so <laughs> that, there's a reason that when you go to treatment everybody tells you when you get there try to find the similarities not the differences mm-hmm. because most people do what you said yeah and I could have easily done that, but I kind of knew, I had known that my problem was not normal for a while, and I knew mm-hmm. that just because I had a job still and had my family together and my my whole addiction was private and a secret, right? Mm-hmm. And so I knew, though, that I was just as bad as anybody in there, and I, I'm thankful for that. Somehow mm-hmm. I was humble enough to... To go in there and say like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And I think that's ties back to maybe my upbringing. You know, my mm-hmm. parents always taught me to treat everyone the same, you know, do unto others, that type of mm-hmm. thing. And so I've just never really been a person to judge people based on appearance, yep. you know, whatever. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the way they act, opinions, I, yeah. tr- I try not to, I try not to go there. Mm-hmm. And so... That was huge for me because I know a lot of people, I was in with a lot of people that kind of thought they were superior to other people. other people mm-hmm. just because they hadn't done the things that this guy had done. And yeah. he, oh, he was in prison for two years. And it's mm-hmm. like, so what? You could be there in 10 years if you keep going. Yeah. And uh, I think that's true for everybody. So I know I absolutely agree. And I, I want to say, like, I, I, I never really like felt like I was judging other people in that aspect. But like, I just knew that, um, I didn't, I based that my issue was not necessarily, um, not as serious. So I, I didn't, it's cause I was fearful of really committing to having to do the work and make the changes that were right. necessary. Um, another, uh, issue I always struggled with in treatment was when you're someone who suppresses emotion, always puts this happy face on, um, you don't get honest with anybody yeah. when you are struggling. Um, cause I, I remember counselors and everyone would be like, you have everything you need to go out there and be successful. And like, you're, you're getting this at the beginning, like you could change. And it's cause I'm just great at putting on this character sure, and reacting to them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it took me a really long time to like, and a lot of destruction to kind of find, I almost had to pretty much destroy me or that version of me to let the, the person I am today come out. Um, right. 
because it, it was just all a facade and I had yeah. no clue who Alex was. Um, it was a long journey to get there though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can relate, man. It's, uh, and I've said it on here before and, and you just said it without saying it directly. Like I remember going to treatment and being like relieved to be there. Oh, absolutely. And I was, I remember it's the craziest thing. I got into this horrible room with four beds in it. Mm-hmm. You got to stay <laughs> in this room for a few days until they monitor you. Yep. It stunk. There's just, you know, <laughs> four guys in a room. There's one bathroom. And, you know, you could go out into the rec room and go outside and do whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, I got into this room that was less than, you know, uh, I did not, would normally not want to be in that room. Yeah. But I just remember sitting there and I got my stuff kind of organized. And I just took, like, a big, deep breath. And I was like man, I guess this is where I need to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I might as well give it a shot. Cause mm-hmm. if I don't, I, I got nothing, you know, yeah. and I knew it. Nice. So yeah, it was a big turning point for me, um, to, to kind of feel that into that gorilla was the, the gorilla was off my back, the elephant, whatever, mm-hmm. the monkey, whatever you want to call it yep. was off my back. I didn't have that weight of carrying around all the lies that I was yeah. living with. And, um, so yeah, it was really tough. I don't know what made me like, cause I'm, there's quite a gap in there before like I, I got to that point. Um, cause we were talking 22 so, yeah, to that's 27. What, let's go back to the third yeah. time around. Yeah. Obviously that didn't fix everything. No. You still had five years left. Yeah. Um, so in that time frame, you know, I, I stayed at home and progressively just got worse and worse. Um, and what would happen every time you would start to drink again? Would you be sneaking it at first? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, my family, they had built a new house and like I was staying in the basement and they were on the main level. So, um, I don't know. This is something I always talked about too, is sometimes it's the habits, like drinking became no longer fun for me. Um, so the only thrill I got out of it was trying to sneak around to get the money and to go acquire the alcohol without getting caught. Um, so sneaking out of the windows in the basement and trying to wait till my family went asleep. Like the thrill of running through town trying to like not get caught. It sounds so childish for someone who's like 24, but like it, it was a real thing. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I, I know what you mean. And you almost feel better before you even get it. Oh, the right? instant you, it hits your hand, you're just like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. It's It's weird. It's before you even put it in your body. It was like, okay, I'm okay. And, uh, I, I just remembered that cause I almost didn't even want to drink necessarily at the time, but the thrill of just going and getting it was what was exciting about it. Right. Um, so then what takes place in those few years? Those because years, I'm you know, guessing it wasn't pretty. No. So, um, you know, I, I started, uh, looking for a relationship cause I thought that might be what was lacking, um, codependent and all that jazz um failed attempts multiple times um i i always liked the concept of like i took in victims in a sense because like i was great at putting on this presentation of i have a great family and i can i could get myself together for a while and then like be in a relationship and then like eventually introduce the drinking and slowly but surely pure destruction yes so nothing ever lasted super long um it came to a point where like I, um, I'm at home and this, 
this is what's real. Um, I am not like a violent or really like angry person, but just over the course of time, um, I've, I've learned that I was angry with myself. And there was this internal hatred towards myself that when I was drinking, they talk about the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Um, and I never quite understood where that came from because I'm like, I'm not angry at people. But when I get drunk, I was extremely mean and violent. And um, I ended up getting in a big altercation with my father um, and got arrested and ended up spending two months in jail. Um and then I went to treatment after that. Uh, but that was the first big um, eye-opener as to how bad this had gotten for yeah. me. Um, you know, I my family stopped speaking to me at that point for a while. Um, I had to go do and find all this kind of on my own, um, what I was going to do after treatment. And they really, I'm so grateful that they learned in time what tough love had to look like because I know it wasn't easy for them to have me sit there and call them from jail and not answer and not come visit me and um it it was a challenge so it was the first time that i had to kind of grow up and be responsible for some of my actions and fix my own messes um i finished treatment and i went to i had gotten an apartment um set up in st louis Uh, i was gonna go stay with somebody and did that for a while and kind of rekindled with my family um slowly but surely you know just destroy your life again (laughs) i feel like it's this broken record of yeah from there on um but that was a a big turning point for me was that point um i at one point um you know ended up not fulfilling probation and so that the last part of it was that i would um i'm gonna fast forward a little bit uh was that i had to go into treatment um, cause I wasn't staying sober, go to treatment and I had to go to a long-term facility, which was the arch house in Granite city. Um, so completed treatment. And while I was in treatment at that point, this would have been five years ago. Um, it was like January, my father, um, got really sick. And, uh, so I'm, I'm at the well center in Jacksonville and I get a phone call from my mom. Um, your father, is most likely he's in, on hop, hospice. So most likely going to pass tomorrow or tonight. Um, they came and picked me up from treatment and took me to visit him in Springfield. And then I, he couldn't speak at that point, but I went back to treatment the next day or that evening. And, uh, I was in residential treatment when he passed away. Um, and oddly I had this sense of gratitude that I was there. Um, I knew that my family wasn't worried about me. Um, I knew that I was in the best environment to be able to process and cope with people that were going to be supportive and help me, I don't know, not feel so much regret um, for just having lost time and stuff. Because my father, of anyone, I, I believe, like wanted to, he believed that this was possible for me, that I was going to be able to live some form of a life in recovery one day. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm thankful that he had that. And I know that he's watching today, but, uh, just didn't happen, uh, while he was alive. But, um, so that all transpired. I ended up, uh, I got to go to the funeral and, uh, I don't know, completed treatment, went to the arch house, um, 
which was like a godsend. I think it was my first time really experiencing someone that was going to help me transition from, okay, so I've destroyed my life and I don't know how to live it all. And you, I keep going in these environments trying to jump back into the responsibilities of an apartment or just life. Like I was not, I realized that like I was missing this big gap yeah. and I didn't know how I thrived in treatment. I did really well in jail. Like you implement routine and structure on my life. I will do very well. Sure. But when left to my own, excuse me, <clears throat> devices of putting accountability and responsibility on myself, I was never good at it. Yeah. Um, so that was an awesome first time understanding that there, that's a transitional piece and how important that is. Um, so that's what brought me to granite. <laughs> yeah. So then, um, eventually you got it right. Eventually. Yes. Eventually you got it. You're sober almost three years now coming yes. up on three years later like, this year. I'm like at the end of this year. Yes. Yeah. Like, and, uh, so, What's your life like when you start your recovery world this time around? What was different? You know, I spent a year and a half at an apartment after I um, was done with Arch House. Um, And so just so everyone knows, Arch House is a sober living house. If you're not familiar with recovery world, a bunch of people live together Mm -hmm. and there's usually a person in charge at the house. Then you have to take drug tests mm-hmm. here and there. You know, you have curfews at times, different things, right? Yeah. So, so just so you, it's just a transition place to go when you're out of treatment. It's yes. a long term. Yes, great program. Um, I was in an apartment, um, like literally, like four houses from the arch house, four houses down. Um, that's where like my life fell apart. Um, I. You would think it would have happened with all these other things, but I just, I literally was at the point where I just wanted to no longer be here. Um, While in sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> the yes and no. Um, this would have been like four and a half years ago. Okay. So it was before I, this last round. Um, but what happened was I, you know, I'm living at that apartment and trying to go to meetings at 2016. I was just trying to, um, figure out how to coexist still with this drinking thing. Um, I went into cardiac arrest one night in front of the 2116 club. I woke up in the hospital and some people from the meetings um, came and picked me up in the morning and were like, so you died last night. Um, By grace God, you were brought back. Um, Like, this is serious. We we don't think you're going to make it if you go back out. Um, And... Within a week, I entered Chestnut on their detox unit. Um, was it just drinking this time or other? You know, I've dabbled in other things, but primarily alcohol has been like my constant and my big gotcha. one. Um, part of what destroyed my body so much. So um, alcohol can come in many different forms. Um, mine eventually became hand sanitizer. Um, yeah. So that does a lot of damage physically. Um I think that even just like the cardiac arrests and seizures and things where a lot of that was transpired from drinking hand sanitizer, which is not <laughs> never recommended ever. Um, but it, you know, in that desperation, you just yeah, yeah, it will go matter. to any length to not feel. Um, so when I got to treatment, 
uh, I had the outfit on my back um, and nothing. My family uh, threw everything that I had in my apartment out. They were like, we love you, but you need to start all over uh, and not with us. Um, so it was just me. <laughs> and like truly for the first time, I felt like it was just me. And the alternative was I was ready to die. And so I have nothing else left to go back to. So I'm, I'm going to give this everything I have. And just, and what's the worst I could lose? Like, I'm already don't want to be here, like right. on this world. So through that brokenness, I just started picking up some tools. And uh, I don't know, there was no longer any ulterior motives or hidden agendas or like, it just became honest and real. And uh, that was like the greatest gift in a sense, because um, you talk about that monkey or that thing on your back, those like, it was just gone and it had been lifted. And I had heard people like say that before, but it was the first time I ever truly felt it. But it was, so um, I don't know. You just dug in, just dug in. I I was on the unit um, at Chestnut for like 33 days. And then I went to residential treatment. Um, A lot of work. I had acquired so many skills and understanding of, that was a big problem over the years too, was like, navigating treatment and insurances and legal issues and things that I had no idea about. My family didn't have any idea about. Um, so going through that process, um, I learned a lot. Um, and the more you went through them, the more you understood like, okay, so this, when you get done with treatment, you make these phone calls to get like how it kind of all pans out. Um, instead of trying to gather together at the last minute and, um, so while I was in the crisis unit, you know, I was making phone calls to the residential facilities, the sober living places for afterwards, cause it takes a while. And, um, I just felt more equipped and I was making the decisions. It wasn't other people trying to rush and throw something together for me right. at the end. So I had to, like, I had a part in the decisions and I think that's so important. I tell all the people I work with today, I'm like, you have to want what, the discharge plan looks like for you. If you don't want to be going outpatient or, you know, like actively engage in that process, you're, you are the one that's going to have to fall through with it. So you got to be honest with yourself and figure what am I really willing to go do? And if it's, if you're not, then, and that's okay. There's stages of change, but like, um, I don't know, just being an active role in like what is to come Yeah, at yeah. that point. But. So what do you do today with your time? What, what's your career today? So long story short, I uh, started working at Chestnut after our um, outpatient and all that. And I started working on the unit that I went into um, on their detox crisis unit. I am a recovery support specialist. Um, I've been there for a little over two years. Um, just actually had my last day on Thursday. Um, I will be transitioning to... Um, Alt Memorial for their detox unit through BJC. Um, super excited about that new yeah. <laughs> endeavor. And so basically when people come in to that detox unit at the hospital, you'll you'll meet with them and mm-hmm. offer them help and guidance to try and figure out exactly. what to do next. Yeah. And hope they listen. Exactly. Well, and it, 
what I loved about uh, the current my current previous job, I guess, if however you want to word it, um, at Chestnut was, you know, I, I would get to work with these clients for probably about three weeks, um, and in that time, you'd see them come in and grow um, and change. It afforded me the opportunity to learn like my skill of uh, taking all the knowledge and all the experience that I'd had of going through all these different treatment facilities and all these different sober livings and all these legal issues and hospital issues and yeah. all these things. Um, instead of being like this horrible experience that I would never wish upon anyone, it was like such a gift of learning that I was able to navigate and learn how to work through those things that I'm able to give that to someone else today and kind of help in some ways connect dots for people as to how, because when when we're out there doing what we do, it just all becomes a mess. And so trying to navigate how to work through some of that on the other end, especially in the beginning is so overwhelming. Um, I don't know. And so I I feel like everything today has become any experience I have, it becomes a lesson to hopefully share and help someone else with. So it's just a change in perspective as when challenges or struggles come, um, which they're going to, that's part of life. I don't um, run away from them or complain about them. I just, I view them as like one day I'm going to be able to like use this experience to help maybe guide and help another person. Through yeah. It. It's, it's hard, but you've been through worse. Right? <laughs> That's a fact. Uh, you know, <laughs> and you might go through harder things yeah. in sobriety, but at least you can, you know, use the tools that you learned through all the failure to, to mm-hmm. kind of navigate them. So, well, Hey man, I appreciate you coming and doing this today. It was a lot of fun getting yeah. to know your story. I, uh, didn't know most of what we talked about. So, <laughs> It's awesome to know you. You're um, a great guy, and I appreciate your friendship. Same here, man. I I had a great time. So uh, stay tuned. We'll see (laughs) where the future holds. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks.